I mean, at this so point, now. he's so talented. I mean, he could really, you know, be nominated in 13 categories, That's which is more amazing. than anybody. So my question for you is how many Golden Melody Awards has J. Cho won? 20. 20. All right. Let's have a look. 15. So he's won 15. Good. Again, that is not too shabby. Not bad at all. Nominated 49 times, won 15. That's a pretty good return, I think. So that's just a little look at some of the biggest names in Taiwan's mando pop industry. all about why are they doing that what's going on here it's curious john what is he curious about today every culture has a list of topics that are a bit taboo the kinds of topics you'd struggle to broach even with close friends and relatives in a lot of cultures, death is near the top of that list. So imagine walking into a room full of strangers to talk about death for more than an hour. Sounds awkward, right? Now imagine, though, that everyone ends up having such a great time that they want to keep talking well past the allotted time. This scenario isn't really imaginary. It's exactly what happened at Taiwan's first ever Death Cafe event, a blend of educational seminar, social hour, and group therapy session. What's remarkable about these events is that no matter how morbid they may sound, for those who take part, they come as a big relief. Huo Huijun is the person who introduced these events to Taiwan and adapted them to Taiwan's culture. She's since held Death Cafe events in every county in the country. She's here this week to explain why gatherings with such a grim theme have become so popular. The first Death Cafe event was held in the UK. It started in a single home when a British man decided that there must be some way to talk about the big issues of life and death with family members in an honest, open way. After all, every family deals with death someday. He shared his recipe for a relaxed conversation about the facts of life online, and the idea spread from there. Far from being a tense discussion, these were relaxed family gatherings involving food and open discussion sometimes even games. It's not the sort of thing I can imagine taking off in my own family, but a few people spread out across the world felt that these suggestions would give those around them a necessary way for them to come to grips with reality. Ms. Guo was one of these people. She's long taught about issues like funeral arrangements and end-of-life care for a living, and she's had her own share of losses in life. But she wasn't an immediate convert to the idea of gathering this way. When someone introduced her to the idea a few years back and asked her if she'd try it out herself, Ms. Guo was skeptical. She felt the idea was a good one, but she wasn't sure people in Taiwan would be ready to talk about this kind of stuff. Taiwan's culture is one that's especially squeamish about frank discussions of this kind, especially among more traditional-minded people. People here, she says, often deflect discussions about issues like these, things like final wishes and wills, and the result is sometimes family strife. 
That's why Ms. Guo's first Death Cafe event left her pleasantly surprised. She found that Taiwanese people are actually quite willing to talk. The key is having a supportive environment. At the first event she hosted back in 2014, she only expected that around 20 or 25 people would show up. But within three days, her Facebook event already had 30 people planning to attend. They all showed. She was careful to make the event a light-hearted one, and the result was that while the event was supposed to go on from 2 to 5 in the afternoon, people kept talking until past 7 and didn't want to leave even then. It was like they were waiting for someone to give them permission to talk. To be fair, these participants had signed up. They knew what they were getting into, and they probably had a lot of things to say bottled up inside them to begin with. But that doesn't explain the popularity of the 300-plus events she's hosted since. Many of these events take place in schools and public institutions, held as assemblies, where the people who attend haven't signed up in advance. She says she's had nothing but good experiences, and the invitations keep coming in. Most recently, she was at a kindergarten. That's a bit shocking to me, but she says the kids, the teachers, and even the principal were very happy with how things went. How did she manage that? The key, she says, is in the way you talk. She spent half a year planning before she hosted that first event. She makes sure to set the mood with food and, for adults, coffee. Then there's the matter of the materials she prepares for attendees, the techniques she uses when talking, and the warm atmosphere she strives to create. Some people do feel the need to cry or have something difficult they have to share, but that's allowed, and those people can sense that. Mostly, the events are surprisingly comfortable. They all have themes, preparing a will, leaving instructions for funeral wishes, and issues like expressing wishes for final medical care, resuscitation, and life support. Places like schools aside, what people tend to show up to these events? It's a good mix, she says. Some are people who deal with this stuff every day, people like funeral home workers or medical professionals. But most are just ordinary people who want to see what this is about. Why do they all seem to react so well? One reason is that while the topics are serious, the events themselves are far from it. There's even a board game that Ms. Guo has invented to get honest discussion flowing. Taiwan's hardly unique in this, but it's the sort of place where serious discussions are often put off until it's too late. As a result, an unfortunate part of Taiwan's culture is the use of two coins to divine the wishes of the departed after the fact. This is called using guapue, or divination blocks. It's a variation of the method used to divine the will of the gods. You take two objects, whether wood blocks or in this case coins, and throw them to the ground, judging the answer by the way that they fall. In this case, the combination of heads and tails will give you your answer. Where and how do they want their remains disposed of? Is this or that detail of the final arrangements okay? The board game gets players guessing each other's final wishes. There are even cute props to stand in for the usual coins. Ms. Guo says that in the end, players come to realize that rather than guessing like this, they can just ask family members while they're still here.
the events suggest eight principles for starting these kinds of conversations. There are some obvious tips, like making sure the other person is in the right mood, but the eight principles also include practical tips on how to get started, and then, once you have, how to keep the conversation going naturally. One especially good principle involves timing. For instance, Ms. Guo says, you can use the times when you're watching the news with relatives, and death comes up, as an opening door to conversation. The news could be about the passing of a celebrity, or more recently, about COVID-19. Another important principle is to avoid using the word you, which can put the person you're trying to talk to on guard. Start by talking about they or them or him or her, and slowly ease your way over to talking about the final wishes of the person you're talking to. Ms. Guo says you can do this, for example, by pointing out details in a news story on TV, for instance about what some famous person decided on, and then asking what the other person thinks about their choice before sharing your own view. It's all in the techniques and the timing. Obviously, sorting out someone's will and medical wishes ahead of time can save a family a lot of trouble. But legal matters aside, is there really anything to be gained by talking about such dark topics, no matter how lighthearted the manner? Ms. Guo says yes. Many people in Taiwan still feel that even mentioning such things can invite disaster. But Ms. Guo says that we should look at things from a different perspective. She says that after all, once worse comes to worse, people can at least say that they know they're doing what so-and-so wanted. And most importantly, talking frankly about these things while people are still alive instills in us an appreciation for one another and a sense that we should enjoy the present moment together without taking one another for granted. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Stroke of Light, a portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. This week, we are heading to the Taipei Fine Arts Museum to see a very important exhibition. Titled The Her Story of Abstraction in East Asia, it is the Taipei Fine Arts Museum's latest collection of abstract works by heavyweight artists. Included in the roster are notables such as Japan's Yuyoi Kuzama, South Korea's Choi Wukyang and Taiwan's own Yang Shiqi and Xue Baoxian. During the opening speech, 
The curator of the exhibition says that she hopes the exhibit will provide museum goers with a chance to see how female artists from different parts of Asia evolved in the fast changing period after World War II. And that's why this exhibition carries with it much historical weight. After the conclusion of World War II in 1945, much of Asia's war-torn regions began their rebuild, and it is a construction that takes place on many, many levels. What was physically destroyed had to be rebuilt, and much more importantly, the collective psychological trauma needed healing as well. Different parts of Asia faced warfare and colonial invasion in their own ways. And as a result, the injuries that were seared in the collective memories of people in each region are all different. Japan, for instance, faced the horror of nuclear weapons, a sense of invasion that still shapes their collective mentality to this very day. The Godzilla movies franchise was famously born out of this collective fear of something with unbridled power that could invade and destroy the region. During this period, however, Japan was also a member of the Axis, and it brought much trauma during its invasion to its neighbors. China, South Korea, and the Philippines, as well as many other neighboring countries, were all invaded by the Japanese army, and that resulted in millions killed, uncountable amount of property damage, and last but definitely not least, the infamous sexual enslavery of women in these countries. This is an issue that Japan has yet to fully acknowledge to this very day, and that segues into the subject matter of our new exhibition at the museum. Women's experience and perception during warfare have historically been different from that of men. Many have not been participants in the ending of endless pain and massacre. And many carry the memories of trauma and victimization during a war, passed down from their previous generations. So when they look back and become observers of warfare, women's and female artists have often proven capable of digging very, very deeply into the human experience and tap into the pain in a very personalized manner. So. Let us dive into the exhibition and see what these artists have to offer. The star of the show is arguably Yoyoi Kusama from Japan. Kusama is one of the most renowned contemporary abstract painters and sculptors. She is known for exploring dots in various shapes, sizes, and palettes to express different states of mind. The exhibition presents three of Kusama's earlier works. They are. Accumulation of corpses, infinity nets, and untitled, and these are all paintings that she made before moving from Japan to New York City in the 1950s.、And、they're considered representative of her earlier attempts at expressing abstract thoughts on canvas. And I think it is a great choice on the museum's part to showcase Kusama's works in the early stage of her career. Like I said earlier. An important motif in the works of these female artists is the experience of pain, and Kusama's early childhood was unfortunately filled with that. She was born in 
in an affluent family of merchants in Japan, and she began creating art and writing poems at a very early age. However, that flash of early talent wasn't fostered by her parents at all, and quite the contrary, her mother was known for being physically abusive towards her throughout those years, and she even destroyed Kuzama's paintings on many occasions. So the young Kuzama lived in a constant state of fear, and she began experiencing hallucination at the age of ten. Little did she or anyone else know at the time that this hallucination was shaping up to be the source of a lifetime of pain and inspiration. We'll get into more details of her life and her work in next week's episode, so please be sure to tune in. For Stroke of Light, I'm Jake Chen. together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast. And this is Ellen Chu. And this is Andrew Ryan. How are you doing, Ellen Chu? I'm doing just great. You know, just. Thinking about you know my friends and family back in the states, you know, and they are checking out my Facebook, and the comments they make, you know, kind of make me feel bad. They're like, "Why are you out having fun without <laughs> social distancing?" No, they they envy what Taiwan is doing, and you know how people are able to have their own freedom still,、mm. well, somewhat freedom. Like I said, well, not really exactly hundred percent what we had before. But compared to them, I think you know we are just ball having a ball. Having a ball, that's right? right. And in fact, speaking of balls, they are playing ball, aren't they, Ellen Chu? Yes, playing ball. And by、know. that we mean baseball. Exactly. But you know, the thing is that people used to be, you know, focusing into like you know basketball, the NBA, and also the major league.、Mm-hmm. But now everything is. Shut down.、Mm-hmm. They can. They don't have any sports event to entertain them. In fact, Taiwan is one of the only places in the world where they have professional sports. I hear a couple countries have soccer or football, as they call、mm-hmm. it. But I think Taiwan is the only one, as of today, that has、uh, like professional baseball.、Uh, and the only reason that we're allowed to do that is because it's safe enough to do that.、Mm-hmm. Um, As、not of, even in Japan, right? Not even Japan. I think Korea is going to start、uh, maybe a little bit later this coming week.、Mm-hmm. Um, but、uh, the, the only reason is because there's only about 430 cases of coronavirus, COVID-19, in Taiwan,、oh, and we've had four days of at least four days of zero new cases.、Mm-hmm. So it's been contained. I think it's fabulous that you know what we're doing, and people are really you know closing in and looking and watching at our you know sports. That's right. Because they have nothing else to watch. <laughs> it's kind of funny, like watching sports reporters in America that are like trying to figure out what's happening in Taiwanese baseball. <laughs> so maybe they're gonna be hiring some you know translator commentator. 
who is bilingual well, and they, able to translate that into English. They have English broadcasts already, Ellen Chu. Really? Yes. Because I'm not really, you know, one of those sports fanatics. Yeah, you're not. You're not uh, keeping up on the baseball. So they have commentators like commentating on our, you know, Taiwan sports. Here in Taiwan, there are English language commentators. Oh, some of I them, know they do. I know that some of them. And they're watching. Uh, the people overseas are watching the English broadcasts. Wow. Wow. It's kind of amazing. And we're going to be telling you all about that. In fact, it's interesting. I saw um, that one of the people on Twitter is an Orioles fan from the East Coast mm -hmm. of the U.S. He's been waking up at 6.30 a.m. to watch Taiwan baseball games. He says the sound of the bat is almost therapeutic. You know that sound of the bat, wow. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the sound of the summer, to be honest. Right. right? But, you know, we hope everything will, you know, come back to normal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, keep up the spirit. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, listen to the bat. Yeah. And, but we don't want the real bat to come back. Right, oh, right, right, right. Oh, right. We want baseball bats, not like, you not know. Not the... COVID bat. Right? <laughs> well, it's not fair. Don't eat the bats. Yes. Don't eat the bats, right? Yes. Okay. So what are we going to be eating? What's on our menu today? Let's have a little look. All right. So today on our menu, in our first course, we will tell you what makes Taiwanese baseball unique. One hint is that includes robots in the stand, plus how fans overseas responded. In our second course, what do people eat at Taiwanese baseball games and how does it differ from games in the U.S. and Japan? We're going to actually be sampling a popular snack whose name sounds like black tire. Ooh. Ooh. And in our third and final course, we'll tell you about some of the foods that are taboo when it comes to baseball in Taiwan. That's right. Taboo. Taboo. That's right. But first, a song. Okay. And this song? It's called Dakai Tian Kong. Open up the sky. And this is a very baseball popular song. I think they play this at baseball games. Yes, and I think you know Dong Li Huochi, the power station. The power station. They actually performed that. I think in one of the openings. That's right. Yeah. They've used a lot of the songs that we're going to play in our show today as theme songs for uh, professional baseball, the CPBL here mm -hmm. in Taiwan. Have a listen. We'll be back in just a moment on the feasts.
First course. All righty. It's the ball game. Ball game, ball game, ball game. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about baseball in today's Feast Meets West. And we the... will be talking about baseball and how to observe or how to understand the Taiwanese baseball. Very quickly, just to give you a little background, the first official game here in Taiwan was played in 1906. Wow. This was actually before Babe Ruth joined the Red Sox in 1914. Really? Yes. So early. So this was like way before like, you know, World War One, right? Uh, yes, that is right. correct. And uh, the thing is that maybe it was actually brought here and I guess, you know, spread out and became like, you know, you know, everybody's, you know, favorite sport by J- Jap- Japan. Yes, absolutely. Because that was during the Japanese period in Taiwan, which is from 1895 to 1945, mm-hmm. roughly. Um, actually, Taiwan has done really well. You know, we went to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. The very first time they played baseball at the Olympics as an award sport was in mm. 1992 in Barcelona. We got a silver. Wow, that's great. And Little League, of course, you know that they're really popular. Right. The uh, Taiwan team has won more Little League World Series than any other country in the world. 17 titles. Can woo, you believe woo, that? Woo, woo, woo. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> And the pro baseball leagues in the CPBL, Chinese Professional Baseball League, which is only about 30 years old. And I remember I hosted one of the events for them, and basically they had a nickname called Kubila. <laughs> which means that's really cool. That's really cool. And it sounds like CPBL. CPBL. Kubila. Kubila. <laughs> <laughs> So right now there are about five teams. Uh, uh-huh. In its heyday, there were eleven teams and two leagues. Um, can you name any of the league, any of the teams? Uh, Shongdi, the brothers. Yeah, the brothers. And Zhongxingjing, right. uh-huh. which is the China Trust. Uh, yes. I don't <laughs> think they're called the whales anymore. Really? They're called the Zhongxing. They're, they're called the China Trust brothers. Okay. Oh, they're together yeah i think okay used to be called the brother elephants and then the rakuten monkeys the unit president lions you got those the okay. fubon guardians and the wei chen dragons oh, oh. because wei chen you know it's like mm, an old company <laughs> that we kind of you know forget you forget because, that yeah yeah you yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> we only remember the lions that's right <laughs> 
Yes, the lions. So we can just remember them as the brothers, the monkeys, the lions, the, lions. the guardians, and the dragons. Okay. There you go. All right. So how have people responded um, to Taiwanese baseball overseas? Well, you know Keith Olbermann. Mm-hmm. He's the ESPN host. He says, I'm not exaggerating. Nothing has gotten me to rise even somewhat happily in the morning since I worked a day shift at CNN in 1981 to 1984. But he says he's getting up for Taiwanese baseball. Hashtag who cares who they are. (laughs) (laughs) Just for the sound of the bat. (laughs) That's right. Just for the sound of the bat. Do you know that Olbermann and President Tsai were tweeting back and forth? She pointed out that they were both at Cornell University at the same time. Really? He said that in 1979, he graduated, um, I guess, with a degree in broadcasting. Mm. And he would have passed by the law department where she was studying um on his way to the radio station and the okay. tv station well you know she studied law don't say anything <laughs> <laughs> so also um one sports journalist noticed that the brother elephant mascot um was doing some very funny things in the stands mm-hmm. uh what was he doing he was steaming jerseys Oh. He was also selling luggage. Well, you know, he, he's kind of like, you know, the mascot plus the water boy. Yes. He's, he's, he's a busy guy, right? right? He's multitasking. Multitasking. Right? And he even, they know that a lot of people who are not speakers of Chinese have been tuning in. So look what he's holding up. He's got a little sign there. Wow. He says, hi, hi, hi. My name is Sean. Oh. <laughs> Introducing himself to a foreign audience. Sean the elephant, okay? The mascot has also been noticing doing squats and, you know, doing exercises. And they also do dances. That's right. You know, with the cheerleaders. The cheer that's the thing. Baseball has cheerleaders in Taiwan. Right. Yeah. Some fans were surprised to see the cheerleaders were even eating hot pot which is very unusual and very difficult to eat when there are a lot of fans in the stands. Did you know that that is kind of like a, um, a infomercial? Is it? It is. Oh, see? See? Because product placement. Product placement. So you wouldn't see this like, you know, anywhere on a sports arena, right? It's impossible, especially when there are fans in the stands, but there aren't Look, any fans. How it's well placed and, you know, they have like a dummy. Like a model sitting there? Yes. A right? dummy? That's not a dummy. She, don't call her a dummy. No, no, no. There, there's, a, there's a model. A mascot. A man- oh, you mean a... A mannequin. But you know what that is? That's one of the 500 robots that the Rakuten monkeys have put in the stands in really? place of real audience. Really? So don't be surprised if you see models. Oh. <laughs> Mannequins. So, you know, if the person next to you are not talking to you... <laughs> You know, just just kind of like ignore it. It's not that they're not friendly, okay? Cut them some slack. Exactly, okay? They're just be doing their job, social distance, <laughs> right? Another funny thing is is the uh, one sports journalist, Coley Harvey, was entertained by a controversy over a baseball bat, which had a picture of an animal with a human head on it. He was also <laughs> surprised because that started a brawl. He says today's Guardians Monkeys game had it all. Already a pine tar controversy and a very rare for CPBL benches emptying moment. Mm. And no one got ejected. He writes baseball in 2020. 
Wow. <laughs> Interesting. So, you know, these, these people are not really watching sports. <laughs> They're watching They're entertainment. <laughs> entertainment all around the arena. In Taiwanese culture. You know, right. you've got hot pot. You've got <laughs> so, you know, we're letting the world see what we're doing and our, what our culture is all about. That's right. right. So uh, we're going to be talking about food when we come back in our second course. Um, what do they eat at baseball games in Taiwan? We'll, well tell you all about it. Many things. But first, a song. What is this song, Alan? Bang Chou Shao Zi Ting from documentary about Sanxing Little League Team. That's right. There's a beautiful documentary about this little league baseball team. Very moving. Really? Yeah. And the title song is called Bang Chou Shao Zi, or oh, I guess Baseball Boys. So the artist is called True in Love? Yeah. Wow. Cute. They always cute, and the kids are cute too. Okay. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Feast meets West. Second course. Okay, so what do you eat in a baseball game? Okay, of course, growing up in the States, you know, watching baseball, it's kind of like hot dog, ice cream, popcorn. Yeah, beer. Right, beer. Yeah. That is like an important drink there, right? Um, yeah, nachos. Nachos, yeah. But food in Taiwan, yeah, I've been to a ball game. What did you eat? Fubang, uh, Guardian. It yeah. was like in their, you know, own arena. And I ate lots of things. <laughs> I had fried chicken, French fries, and I had um, Chinese stuff too. Oh, That's a big one. So yeah. grilled squid is the second thing you said. Yes. The first thing was... Um, it's the Chinese, uh, Taiwanese hot dog. Yes, it's so like a sausage. That, it's like uh, sticky rice outside. Yeah. And the inside you get like a, you know. Sausage. Sausage. And did they put other things like pickled mustard greens or like cilantro or sauce? Mm, garlic maybe? Well, yeah, cilantro. And then they had the Chinese uh, sweet sauce. Yeah. Tian oh, tian la, sweet love and it. spicy sauce. I love that so much. Yes. So you had squid balls? Yes. And also beer. Bear. A beer. Very okay. important. 
And they had many things like ice creams. They had that too. So many good things yeah, to they, have. They had kind of like, you know, different food stand. They had pizza too. Mm-hmm. My kids had pizza, fried chicken, and, you know, they had like a deluxe set, something like that. Mm, mm-hmm. So yummy. So yummy. So some of the things that you uh, have here in Taiwan, you definitely would never see in a ball game in mm. the States. And one of those things is a Japanese uh, dish called oren. oren. Oren, right? So in Taiwan, they call it heilun. It's kind of like a soup. And then you put all kinds of like different uh, fish balls mm-hmm. or like uh, uh, corn. Mm-hmm. It's then... things made from fish paste usually, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Like yuban or uh, you have like... Um, Boiled eggs, daikon, konjac, mm-hmm. um, and then the broth is kind of like a soy-flavored dashi broth. Right. And sometimes they even have uh, blood pudding, but I know that you don't like that. The rice blood oh, pudding, the rice... gao. Oh, gao, I like. You do? I do. Oh, but I not just the some. gelatin ones. Oh, you like the with the rice in it, right? right? Yes. Which it doesn't look like a blood clot. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'll get that for okay. you. So why don't we um, introduce the things we have? We have we each have a bowl of oden. I just kind of swallow the fish ball. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like a little uh, stick mm-hmm. with three little fish balls. I have corn, mm-hmm. and I have this uh, fake crab. Mmm, that you make it sound so delicious, Alan Chu. <laughs> so that one is um, that you have is actually colored to look like mm-hmm. a crab roll, right? Mm-hmm. And then some of them, the daikon, they've sliced into like big rounds. That's good. And everything has been cooked in this sauce. Mm. Now, you can actually buy this at a like a convenience store in Taiwan. Yeah. They have different um, items, like maybe 20 different items, and you can choose them. Each has a different price. But this is good when, when it's like wintertime. Mm. It's cold in a ball when you're watching ball. Mm. You have a hot soup mm. and then olen. Oh. So yummy. And mm-hmm. so just it fills your belly mm-hmm. and it makes you very happy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like ballpark food, but it definitely is here in Taiwan. You can also add like wangzi mian. Mm-hmm. Oh, like noodles, like noodles. instant noodles, instant right? Instant noodles in there. The curly mm-hmm. kind. Right. And you also have corn in there mm-hmm. too. So and blocks so of tofu. Yes. So it's a it's kind of like a, a whole array of different um, textures, mm-hmm. different flavors, mm-hmm. and everything has one thing in common, and that is the soup that brings it together. Hot and warming and belly filling. I know. Because I think, you know, in Taiwan, most people, they want something uh, satisfying. If they have a hot dog or, you know, just anything uh, Western, they always feel that they're not full. Mm, right? Yes, that's I, true. I don't understand why, but, you know, a lot of my friends... They always say, you know, they need to have like rice or they need to have like hot soup. So we're going to go into a song that's actually related to this. I'm very proud that I was able to find this song. Really? <laughs> I think there's a song called Oren. It's called 我最爱吃Oren. Oh, I love to eat. And it's by Guozi. Uh, yes. He's very talented. Very talented. Yes. We should mention Oren. When we say it here in Taiwan, it actually literally means black tire. Right. But and it's just the sound, right? Why is it called Oren? Because it's hey, Taiwanese. Okay. Oren. Because I think in Japan, they don't use the words, they don't use the characters, Heilun. They don't really? use the same kanji. 
And it's what, a sound. It's a sound. Okay. That means what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My okay. research has its limits. All right. When it goes to the original <laughs> language in Japanese. Next yeah. time, I'm going to ask one of my, you know, friends who lived in Japan. To get on me. that. Yeah. Get on that. We'll do the research, okay? Do the research. And we'll get back to you. All right. All right. For now, this song, Oden, I really, my, the thing I love to eat my the most. My favorite. My is favorite. Oden. Okay. Taboos. Yes, taboo. There are foods that you are, you know, not supposed to eat. Or you just, it makes you think twice before you eat them. Really? These are a little bit confusing, so I want you to walk slowly with me into this, because they're very language-based. All right. Yeah. Okay, so the first one is bento boxes, biendang. That's right. Now, these are very popular at Japanese baseball games. I think for a while they had bento boxes that were dedicated to different players. Mm-hmm. So their favorite foods would be in the box. And then you would have one of these lunch boxes and you would feel a special connection to mm. the player. Well, the reason why they're taboo is because it's mentioned in a popular chant that they mm. d- use to distract the the person who's batting, right? You know how they, they do, hey, batter, hey, batter, swing. Right. Right. But well, the thing is that. Is it because it's almost dinner or lunch? So they're trying to say bento, bento to make the, you know, athlete feel like they want to eat something and get distracted. I think it's like hurry up and finish bang so you can go and eat your dinner. Oh. But actually, to be honest, I think it's just because it rhymes. Okay. Right? Bien dong, bien dong. It's ben dong, ben dong. So you have to say it in Taiwanese. Oh, ben dong, ben dong. And then hui bang. Luokong, which means swing your bat and miss the ball. So bento box, bento box. Swing your bat and miss the ball. Has a rhyme. Bentong, bentong, hui bang, luokong. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I don't think people are avoiding bento boxes because of this, but no, I I still see bento boxes. Right. Pot stickers, pan fried dumplings called guo tie. This is a bit harder. I cannot. See the link the, or relationship. The connection is a very tenuous one. Okay. So basically, back in the Beijing Olympics in 2008, Taiwan lost to China. And the way the media described it was, mm-hmm. which means even though you lost, you did so honorably. Oh. And some people were unhappy, so they changed it to, which means mm-hmm. what? The traveling dragon failed. <laughs> 
And then other people changed it to Si Hai You Long, the dragon travel to the four seas, which is a potsticker shop. <laughs> That's the name of the shop. Ba Fang Yun Ji, auspicious clouds gather from eight direction, which is another potsticker shop. So they would say, "Oh, our team was uh, Si Hai You Long or Ba Fang Yun Ji," oh. and then from there, people just made the jump straight to pot eating potstickers means that you're losing. Wow! So you can say, "Are you?" Are, is the team going to lose pots? Is mm. are they going to eat pot stickers again? Poor, poor, poor shops. I know. I I know. They what should, did they do? They I, didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say? Like uh, in Chinese, there's a phrase for this: "tang zi zhong chang," right? I know. So they were lying down and they got hit by a bullet. They were just you know hanging out at their house and they they still got shot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway, those are just two fun little taboos that um, are connected to food and baseball. Okay, but I can stick with my uh, little Oren. Yeah. Okay. I'm happy nice. eating these. I'm happy. Yeah. All right. So please write to us and address. Is PO Box 123-199 Taipei Taiwan. Email us at ANDROO at RTI.org.tw. And if you are watching well Taiwan's baseball, maybe you can write to us and let us know how it is. Yeah. Are okay? you enjoying watching it? Is there anything you don't understand that you would like right. for us to explain? We can explain as much as we understand. I mean, there's a lot of things that people might understand. Right. Everything from robots to hot pot. Right. I didn't even know that they had robots there. I'm telling you, that's 500 robots. Okay. Moving. Moving? Playing drums. Boom, boom, boom. I think it's kind of scary. Boom. I know. <laughs> it's like a horror movie. Ooh, actually, that'd be a great horror movie. I know. And you're the only live person sitting there. <laughs> that'd be hilarious. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. So next week, join us for a look at the incident that started what's called the milk tea alliance between netizens of taiwan thailand and hong kong i can't believe that people are still loving milk tea mm -hmm. it's still a topic of discussion well you know this is something that you once you get hooked you're hooked <laughs> okay good way to put it ellen Chu. right before we go today one final song and this is by fire x and it's continue moving forward all right. It's a baseball kind of song. All yeah. right. Move it on. All righty. For Feast Me Sus, I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. Ra ra. Bye. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs> 